Everybody say, there's a scarecrow in your melon patch. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor, because it just sounds a little weird. Say, there's a scarecrow up in your melon patch. You got to be a little ghetto and say, up in your, up in your melon patch. There's a scarecrow in your melon patch. People ask me about this series, and the title is definitely odd. It's taken directly from Jeremiah chapter 10, and we'll read that in just a second. People have been, you know, like, what's up with the scarecrow? And have you noticed, I don't know if you noticed it, the scarecrow moves in the video. Do you know it? Did anybody notice that? It's a freaky scarecrow. It's not, it's not an actual dead scarecrow. There's a body in that scarecrow. And so people have been asking me, though, like, what's up with the whole scarecrow thing? And I want y'all to know, like, how many of y'all grew up and ever, ever had a scarecrow or had a farm or ever been to a ranch or anything like that? I'm talking to a bunch of foreigners now, okay. All right, here's what y'all need to know about me. So, so I, I grew up in South Carolina, and my grandfather was a farmer and cattle rancher, and so I grew up around this stuff. And so, as a matter of fact, y'all want to hear something funny? The other day, my wife is, is supposed to take a bunch of uh, corn on the cob to a party, and, and so she brings home, and I don't even know where she got it from, but she brings home these two big old buckets full of corn, but not like frozen corn or canned corn or even like, we're talking about in the husk. Done pulled right off the stalk, put in it, and I don't even know where she got it from. And she's in a panic. She's super duper late, and she's backed up. And you know how women are—they gotta get dressed for two hours, and I don't get my makeup, and my hair, my takes an hour. Anyway, and, and and so she's like, "Babe, can you please take care of the corn?" And and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. I'll take care of the corn." She goes, "Okay, let me tell you how to do this." I said, "Woman, I grew up on a farm. I know how to shuck some corn, okay?" And she's like, really? Here's the deal. I didn't grow up on a farm, but I always used to spend my weekends and spend my summers at my grandfather's farm and cattle ranch. And so sure enough, man, I knew how to shuck some corn. I mean, we're talking about, and you got to silk it, and then you got to wash it, and then you got to chop the ends, and then you slap them two little holder things in it, and then you dab it and slap it down with salt and butter, and then mm, that's ready to go. So... All that to be said, I grew up around scarecrows, and, 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 and I want you to know that the reason why we use scarecrows is they are these lifeless images that we throw up there for you city folk. Uh, we put them up there to scare away the deer. <laughs> That's what we put them up there for, because the deer would come into the garden, and I had like this, we had this like football-sized garden full of, we had tomatoes and corn and, and uh, watermelon and pumpkin, we had all kinds of stuff in that thing, and so we'd keep the deer away. Now, I want you to know we had a scarecrow, but hey, there were times where we had a uh, ghetto scarecrow. Does anybody know what a ghetto scarecrow is? It's, it's, it's a plastic bag. <laughs> or, or an aluminum pan, like an aluminum pan. Because anything that's shiny and moves and makes noises, that's how you make a ghetto scarecrow. So I just want you all to know, if you all ever in life and you need a scarecrow and you don't want to build the weird, big, mummy-looking thing, just go get yourself a trash bag. And then you will have a scarecrow in your melon patch. So anyway, today we are kicking off this series, There's a Scarecrow in Your Melon Patch, and it's taken directly out of Jeremiah chapter 10. And before we read it, let me under, help you understand why he says what he says. Jeremiah is a prophet who's living in a dark time in Israel's history. Israel, if, if you know their history, they started out as one nation and they were divided and split into two. They actually had what was called Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel had a series of bad kings ungodly, abusive, mean, nasty, hateful, wrongdoing kings. Judah typically had a string of better kings in the south. But eventually they would have a good, good king and a good king again, and then they have a bad one. They have a good king and then a bad one. A good king, a good king. And towards the end, they all got bad. Josiah was the last good king of Judah, and he actually led a revival. And Jeremiah's life starts 
at the end of Josiah's life, when things are really, really great. But the Bible says that Jeremiah prophesied to Israel from the death of Josiah all the way to the end of, Is- or to the end of Judah's history. Because see, after Josiah, everything went downhill. And these people were surrounded by all these weird nations that served weird gods and had these different idols that they served. And so the, the nation of Israel would just get caught up in a panic and a fear, wanting to blend in, wanting to make sense of, wanting to find, search, whatever it is. And so they would start worshiping and serving and sacrificing to all the different idols of the countries and the people groups surrounding them. And Jeremiah begins to prophesy against them. And by the time you get to 10, he says this, but leading all up to it, he said, look, you are committing adultery, spiritual adultery against your God. You are wicked and you are serving false idols and false gods. And then he gets, he gets to where he basically says, just so you know too, because of your wickedness, if you don't repent and if you don't stop, there is calamity coming from the north. And up from the north was where basically Babylon was coming from. And Babylon was a, was a rising kingdom that eventually was led by Nebuchadnezzar that came in and eventually destroyed Judah destroyed the temple, ransacked the temple, even took many of the people of Israel captive and led them back to Babylon to make them slaves and servants in the great city of Babylon. And here's Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the prophet saying, you got to stop worshiping these false idols. He goes, There's a, they're empty, they're lifeless, they're like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Let's read the verses together here this morning. Jeremiah chapter 10. The Bible says, hear what the Lord says to you. O house of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest. And a craftsman then shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Today, we will begin a series called There's a Scarecrow in Your Melon Patch. And what's fascinating, what I want you to realize about this series is that it's so important that you're here. Notice the beginning of the word say this. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what the Lord says. This isn't what, what I came up with. This is what the Lord was speaking through Jeremiah to challenge and even a little bit prod and chastise a group of people who were followers of God. I want you to know, like, Jeremiah doesn't go to the people around. He doesn't go to the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the people who are away from God. Do you hear what I'm saying? He went to the people who believed in God. He went to the people who were supposed to be serving and following God, and he lays down this hammer of correction. He says, you've got to stop worshiping these idols. They are like a scarecrow in your melon patch. And over these next few weeks, it's so important that you get in here. This is kind of like the the introductory, if you will. I'm not even going to get into any one of the main specific ones. We'll we'll get into those in the weeks to come. But get in here over the course of these next four weeks and, and let God challenge you from the inside of the out to the depths of your being. What you'll find is this, and what I found as I began to study this, is I have some idols. Now, I don't bow down to a little statue or a shrine or, mm mm-mm. They're buried deep down in my heart. And as I looked at these scriptures and we studied out this series, I want you to know that I was challenged, and I want you to be challenged the same way, because many of us are destroying our lives because we're following after idols in our heart. Many of us are totally unsatisfied with where our lives at because we're chasing after idols in our heart. God wants to be the Lord who is the one and true only God, the only one that can satisfy the depths of your soul. 
Let's pray as we begin today. Father, we thank you that your word is true. And Lord God, we need to align ourselves with it. We need to glean from it. We need to walk in it, God. We need to let it be a light that shines into the dark places of our heart and exposes whatever it is that shouldn't be there. And so God, we pray that, that we, would, we would man up, we would woman up, we would be ready, God, to maybe receive something challenging to our hearts. So God, speak to us today, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. I warn you that because this series was not easy for me to study. And I figure if it's not easy for me to study, it might not be easy for you to hear. So I need you to, to be ready to receive what God has to say for you and know that you know there are certain series where I get up here and I'm like, you can do it. You're an overcomer. And I put on my best Joel Osteen and I build you up and I pump you up and I teach you and I... But every once in a while, you know what you need? Every once in a while, you need a prophet like Jeremiah to somehow, like I said, expose and to turn the light on in the dark places of our heart. Because here's the problem. Many times we keep getting built up and we keep getting encouraged, but at the same time, we're ever so slightly straying little by little and step by step from what God really wants to do and who God really wants to be in our lives. Somebody say amen. So when we look at the scriptures, here's what I want you to know, that the, the people of Israel lived in a very, very different time than our time. Can we all agree to that? Like they lived in a time period where they were surrounded by idolatry. Idolatry would be anybody that worshiped anything other than the one true God. And so they were surrounded by these polytheistic societies and cultures and nations. And, and even when you look at all of scripture, scripture kind of goes through the list of all the different gods that were surrounding Israel. So for example, when they were in Egypt, all the different gods that the Egyptians worshiped, What's even fascinating is that when you read about the 10 plagues of Egypt, the things that God unleashed on Egypt to get Egypt to let God's people go, you'll find that they were all connected to the idols that they served. Like they worship the God of the Nile River, which was their source of provision. And God said, that's not your provision. I'm your provision. That's, I will just turn it to blood. They worship the sun God. And he goes, I'll blot out the sun. That, that, that he's no God. I made the sun. The sun is just a thing that I made. It's not a God. And they worshiped all these different beings. And what you'll see is that God makes a mockery of them through the ten plagues of Egypt. What you'll find is even when you move forward, there was a God called Dagon. It was called the God of the Philistines. He was actually, it was a statue and it was a, a fish on the bottom and a man on the top. It is like a mermaid. Or if it was Ben Stiller, it would be like, merman, dad, merman. That's all I could think about when I saw that. I'm like, merman, I'm not a girl, because it was a dude. It was a dude on top and a fish on bottom, and it was the, because the Philistines were, were right next to the Mediterranean Sea, and how many know when you depend on fish as, as the number one supply of your livelihood, and you don't know who God is, who do you pray to? I'm praying to the fish God. We'll find something out there. So we're going to make up something. And again, he's saying, this is what Jeremiah says, they go cut down trees. They take it to a craftsman. They shape it into stuff. They put it with gold and silver, and then they prop it up and nail it to the wall because the thing won't stand on its own. And sure enough, if you go to the book of Samuel and read the story of Dagon, there's a moment where the Philistines actually attack Israel and win. And when they win, they capture what's called um, the Ark of the Covenant. See, Israel never worshipped a thing. Did you know that? They never had like... A thing. They had a place. They had a time. But they believed God was invisible. And God, and so they just had a box, though. And so this super box basically had, like, the, the, the Ten Commandments was in there. And there was some old bread in there. And there was a stick that, that Aaron used one time. And they, they just, there was just the God box. And it represented that God's 
power and his word and his authority was always with them. But it wasn't God. It didn't represent who God was necessarily. And so the Philistines beat them up and they take the Ark of the Covenant back. And the Bible says they take it back to the temple of Dagon. And sure enough, you know, they go through and the priests and the servants do their thing. And when it's time to shut down the night and they close everything up and lock everything up. And there's in a dark room, there's Dagon, Mr. Merman. And then there's the super box. Overnight, having a slumber party. And they wake up the next morning and they go into the, the, the temple of Dagon. And you know what they find? Dagon had fallen down during the night. And so they like, uh, I wonder if this is like a bad omen. So they just prop Dagon back up. They go through their worship priestly duties for the day. They do the same thing. They lock up everybody at night. There's Dagon, Merman, and there's the God box. And then they go to sleep. And the next morning they come in and not only has Dagon fallen over this time, but both his feet and his hands had fallen off and his head had fallen off. And then what got so bad was is that the Philistines, they all started breaking out with tumors and boils and basically everybody started dying and they said, get rid of the box. They gave it back. <laughs> like, we don't want the box anymore. Take your box back. We're tired of the box killing us all. And so this was the story of Dagon. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book uh, 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 in the New Testament in the book of Acts, you'll, you'll hear about them worshiping the god Diana. Do you know that Diana was the goddess of fertility? She was referred to as the mini-breasted one. It was literally the picture of a woman with literally like 50 breasts on the front of her chest. And she was the god of fertility. And you would go and sacrifice to her so that she would give you a child. And you think, wow, these people were kooky, weren't they? I mean, now we're sophisticated people today. 21st century, we know what the sun is. It's a big, big ball of gas. We know that the Nile is just a river. We know how the female reproductive system, I mean, we've got this stuff. We are very, very, very sophisticated, and we don't worship little things like that anymore. We're beyond that, Todd. And I would say, really? Are you sure? Because when I look around, I see a lot of things that aren't where they ought to be. They had a God, they had a God in the Old Testament. It was the God of Molech. And the reason they were the God of the Amorites, and the reason why, if you ever wonder, like, you know, why did God destroy these people? It's because they were child sacrificers, and they wouldn't repent. And God said, the only way I can stop them from sacrificing their children is to wipe them out. And so he has the people of Israel wipe out the, the Amorites because they worshiped a God named Moloch, and they sacrificed their children to him. And we think, that is ridiculous. Who would ever do that? And yet what we find today is we find people sacrificing their children in different ways. All the way at abortion, all the way up to dads that sacrifice their children on the altar of career. Or moms that, that, that sacrifice their children to, so that they can be something and perform on a stage and reach some type of... And we just sacrifice our children in different ways. Are you hearing me? There was the God of Aphrodite. It was the goddess of beauty. And they used to sacrifice and kill things to worship the God of beauty. And we said, we don't do that anymore. I said, but we do. We are surrounded in a culture where people have little girls who will go and throw up after eating two M&Ms so that they can have a certain body image. We do worship the God of Aphrodite. We just call her a different name. There is still idolatry in our heart because we look to things to satisfy us that cannot satisfy us. They had the God of money back then. Think about it. Think about the financial crisis of 2008. You know what the suicide rate went up after that, especially among men? And you tell me we don't serve the God of money? It was what they called mammon. It was the God of money. We do. And when we don't have it, we don't feel fulfilled. And when we don't have it, we don't have satisfied. That's an idol. 
It's something in our heart that we long for, we believe in, we trust in, we obey, we follow after. And when it doesn't deliver, we are left unsatisfied. There's an idol. There's a scarecrow up in your melon patch. And there are different things, and they're all different. We serve them and worship them in many different ways, but we all have these ways that we falter through these different things. Some of us, we worship technology. You don't believe me? There are people that slept outside for two and three days for the latest phone release. You're out of your mind. You have an idol in your heart, and you're stupid. I'm sorry. I love Apple products, too, but y'all are B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Some of you are like, well, we don't have a shrine. We don't have a little Buddha. We don't have a little thing. Yeah, but you see, you got a 52-inch LCD that you bow to for hours and hours and hours on end that you bought with money that you don't have on a credit card and you tell me you can't tithe. I told you this wouldn't be easy, but Jeremiah didn't make it easy. And when I read it, it wasn't easy for me. I can't make it easy for you. There's no other way for me to say this. You and I, we have scarecrows in our melon patch. Let me help you and define for you what I, what I, Tim Keller wrote it better than I could say it. And so if you could read this with me, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can. He, he continues and says this. He goes, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart. If I have that, then I'll feel my, like my life has meaning. And then I'll know I have value. Does anybody have a scarecrow in your melon patch? Does anybody have anything that they so desperately long for and that they wish that they had? And if they only had that, and once they do have that, or once it's taken away, then I don't have that anymore? It's because we have a scarecrow in our melon patch. Let, let me help you out real quick here, too. See, see the, some of us think about idols and we think about bad things. Like, like, like there was a gentleman who told me earlier today, like he had a gambling addiction. That's an idol. And we all know that's an idol, and he, you know, wreck your finances and your family. That's an idol. It'll destroy your life. It promises so much, but it delivers so little. And it's easy, to look at, it's easy to look at the guy who's addicted to pornography and say, well, that's an idol. There's an idolatry of sexual lust and the, the, the female, I thought, on and on, we could go on and say on it, that's obvious. There are certain idols that we fall prey to. Can I tell you that the, the number one thing that, that many of us are falling prey to are not necessarily the evil things. We know that they're evil. You know what we fall into? We fall into good things that we turn into to God things. Like there are good things in life that God even wanted to give you, but as soon as you take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing, you know what you've got? You've got a scarecrow in your melon patch. Some of you long to be accepted by people. Want to be accepted. You've got, you've got rejection issues and so badly wanting to be accepted. Can I tell you, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be accepted. As a matter of fact, let me help you today. God fully wants to accept you and receive you and embrace you. And that's what he's getting. That's a good thing, isn't it? See, how many know you can take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing? And when I so desperately long to be accepted that I compromise anything else, including the, the ways of God and the will of God, just so that I can be accepted, you know what you got? You got a scarecrow in your melon patch. You got to have to prop it up, too. That's the problem. See, because not everybody's going to accept you all the time. So what happens when they don't accept you? You got to prop that thing back up. You got to try. You got to get out of bounds with life and decisions to try to get that need met. All because you so badly. Some of you, can I help you real quick here? God wants you to enjoy life and have pleasure. Can I get, amen? I mean, like, like, 
Like some of us, here, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to go to this place feeling like I can't do anything now. You know what I mean? Like God, you know, God doesn't want me to do anything. He doesn't want me to have any fun. He wants me to dress like an Amish person and then pray like, pray 20 hours a day. And I, I just, now I can't do anything because everything's an idol. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's an idol when we've elevated above the status of who God is and that thing is now the thing that becomes the thing that satisfies our soul. So, so, so we do that many times when it comes to pleasure. God wants you to have pleasure in life, but not at the expense of who he is. Not at the expense of his will and his ways in your life. Not at the expense of knowing him. God wants you to have pleasure because of him. But when you take a good thing and you turn it into a God thing, you end up with a scarecrow in your melon patch. Here, here's some questions I want to give you today. I want you to do a little diagnostic of your heart. Because there's some ways that we can determine, is there a scarecrow hidden in my heart? Here's some questions you need to ask yourself. What do I fear the most? Many times the very thing that we're so afraid of, there's an idol hidden beneath it. Here's an obvious one. Hey, where do you spend your money? When you've bought all the basic necessities of life, where does all your money go? It may be an indicator. What do I long for most passionately? Where do I run for comfort? Here's the one of the best. What do you daydream about when you've got nothing on your mind? Where does your mind automatically retreat to? And you just find yourself daydreaming, thinking about, longing for. There's a good chance you've got a scarecrow in your melon patch. What do you brag about? What do you want to have more than anything else? What do I sacrifice the most in my life to get? Whose approval am I seeking? Here's a great one. What if I lost it would make life not worth living? What gets the priority? The reason why many of us are so unsatisfied in life is because we keep longing for things and chasing after things and wanting things to satisfy our heart. And you know what Jeremiah says? They're lifeless. They are made out of things that will not last. They are made out of temporal ideas and temporal things, and they won't last. And so you go chasing after them, and it's like chasing after a rainbow, and you believe in your heart so desperately there's a pot of gold that it ain't no pot of gold. They're empty. They're lifeless. It's a scarecrow. Again, what's funny is this, is that many times we don't realize that not only is there an idol in our heart, some of us there's an idol factory in our heart. Let me, let me, this is going to help, this is going to set somebody free. Some of us, it's obvious that money is our idol. But you don't know why it's your idol. You just know you chase after it. You know you need it. You know you long for it. But can I tell you that I've seen two and three different types of people, and money is all their idol, but there's another idol behind the idol. Does that make sense? You got multiple scarecrows up in that temple. Let me, let me give you an example. Some of you so desperately long to feel safe and secure, so you desperately crave after more money. Why? Because you want to feel safe and secure. But other people, I've seen it differently. Their idol is money, but it's not because they want to feel safe and secure. It's because they want things, and they want materialistic things, and they think they'll feel better, and they'll look better, and they'll be happier with themselves. Two different sets of idols underneath the idol. Are you hearing me? See, some of us have these hidden issues that drive us, and money is the surface one. Money is the top idol that most of us can see quickly, but I would even dare to say, what's the idol behind the idol? It's not that there's just one up in there. There's a few in there. There's an idol driving that other idol. When it comes to idolatry, 
This is where we have to go today, and this is what we have to do, and this is what our mission is over these next few weeks as we kind of uncork a scarecrow in your melon patch. This is what we must do, because it's, it's, it's easy for me to get up here and tell you, you've got an idol, and you've got an idol, and you've got an idol, and they're all bad, and we're all wicked people, and now let's go feel terrible about ourselves and watch football later, and then feel terrible after the football game, depending on if our team wins or loses, because uh, basically if our team wins, we feel better about ourselves in the day, and if our team loses, we feel bad about our day. Now, that's idol. Um, if your team winning or losing determines the level of your happiness, you have an idol. I just want to tell you that. So my goal is not to make you feel bad. My goal is to let you know we all have idols. Can we just get an amen out there? I got them. You got them. And I don't want you to walk in this place just feeling bad, thinking, oh, I, I suck. I've got idols. I'm awful. I'm a terrible, evil, no good, dirty, rotten, whatever. I want you to know that God wants to be the most important thing in your life and that this is what you and I have to do. And, and I wrote it down like this so that you could put it on and tattoo it to your head and your your refrigerator, and your bathroom mirror. To overcome our idols, we must restore God's rightful role and put all other things in their proper place. Let me say it again. To overcome our idols, we must restore God's rightful role and put all other things in their place. See, there's some things, because see, here, here's the challenge and here's the dilemma. Like, some of you don't know this, but like, your children are your idol. Like, they're your life. Your life revolves around them. You couldn't live without them. You, you, you build your life around them. Now, here, here's, the, here's the, the tension of it. Does God want you to love your children? Okay, y'all aren't sure. Is it because of your kids or the sermon? I don't know what it is. Okay, I'm gonna make this real easy. Hey, does God want you to love your children? Absolutely, he does. He wants you to absolutely just love the snot out of them little kids. And see, the problem is, though, is that where is the tension lie when it comes to whether our kids become an idol to us or whether they're not? And, and, and here's the reality. God doesn't want you to necessarily love those things less. He wants you to love him more. Does that make sense? It's not about loving your kids less. It's just about loving God more. It's not about not having your kids be a priority. It's about having God be the priority that everything else revolves around. Does that make sense? Abraham is a perfect example. Abraham is the, 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 Father Abraham had many sons. You remember Father Abraham? We built this whole thing and started all with him and that big old family that got bigger and turned into a nation, which turned into a movement. It all started with Abraham. And you know what? God promised Abraham that, Abraham that he would have a what? That he would have a kid. He was barren up until the time, and his wife were barren up until the time they were 100. They had prayed and prayed and prayed and trusted God's words that they would have a kid. And that, you know what? Here's the reality, is that when they got the kid, he made the kid the ultimate thing. As a matter of fact, because when you read the words in the Hebrew writing, it talked about how he loved Isaac. And he had made Isaac the priority of his life. And you know what God said to Abraham at one point in life? He goes, you've made Isaac more important than me. And God challenged him, I want you to go sacrifice Isaac on an altar. Just to see which one is really the most important thing in your life. And don't, don't get morbid on me here. God never asked him or never makes him go through with it. He just says, I just wanted to see if in your heart Isaac had become more important than me. Because we can take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing. And then our life revolves around it. And if we don't have it, our life crashes. He goes, you can't live life. I don't want you to love Isaac less. I just want you to love me more. And when it comes to the evil idols of this world, you just got to destroy those. You have to annihilate them. King Josiah became king. He turned in his heart towards God. The first thing he did was say, go down 
and tear all the temples down, all the poles down, all the places of idolatry and rip them out and tear them down. When it comes to the evil idols, you rip them out. When it comes to the good things, we, we, don't, we don't throw out our kids. We don't throw out our marriage. We don't, like, it'd be dumb for, because like some of you guys, your job and your work has become an idol to you. It's the thing that drives you. It's the thing that you live for. Now, am I saying you need to go and quit your job? No. The Bible says that a man who doesn't work and doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. I want you to go to work. It's why you go to work that matters. Does that make sense? It's where God is in the priority system. Because the guy who goes to work and that is the means and the end, you're an, you've got an idol. But for the man who goes to work and says, no, this is a means to a greater end and the end is God. But this is the means by which he's given me to provide. God's the guy that gave you the mind to think and the ability to work. And he wants you to bless it and do it as unto him. So it's not that we throw out everything in the world. It's that we put it in its proper place. Somebody say amen. Here's what I want you to do, three things, as we kind of begin to wrap this up. Number one is this. Everything else in your life is beneath Jesus in priority. If you want to live a life, scarecrow-free or trash bag, aluminum plate, ghetto-free, everything else in your life must be beneath Jesus in priority. Meaning like there's nothing else. There's nothing more important. He, he's at the t because without him, being a husband gets harder. And without him, being a mom gets harder. Without him, your job gets more. I'm telling you, life with Jesus and him being the end and everything else falling somewhere in the middle or somewhere below that. Number two is this. Everything must revolve around Jesus in practice. Here, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes when I say priority, you start thinking of a list that says, well, Jesus is number one, and so then I, again, I neglect everything else. That's not what I'm saying. That's why I had to put this one in here. Because although Jesus is number one in priority, it doesn't mean that I neglect everything that's not him. It means that Jesus is the centerpiece and everything revolves around him in practice. Does that make sense? I don't want to elevate my marriage above God. I want to put God in the center of my marriage. I don't want to elevate my kids above God and become that mom or that dad. I want to have God be the centerpiece of my parenting. I don't want work to become greater than God, but I want God in the midst of all that I do when it comes to how I practice and practically live life. And number three is this. Everything should be smaller than Jesus in perspective. Jesus becomes... Not only the number one priority, he becomes the centerpiece. Not only becomes the centerpiece, becomes the lens from which I try to view all of life. He's the lens through which I see life and make decisions. And when Jesus is that, I'm telling you, the light begins to shine into the dark places. And all the idols get exposed. See, when I look back at my life, I sit back and I think, all the times I so desperately wanted those things. All the times I found myself daydreaming. Oh, man, if I could just have that. Oh, I wish I could have this. Oh, I wish I could go here. Oh, if you're single, like, oh, if I wish I just so badly could get married. Or, oh, I wish I had more of this. Here's the question I have for you. What is the idol in your heart? Maybe there's even a deeper question. What's the idol behind the idol? What is driving this thing? Jeremiah said it's as bad, and he describes it in two different ways. He describes it in marital terms, and then he describes it in political terms. He goes, it's betrayal, and it's adultery. Like, this isn't a light thing. This is a big thing to God. 
Can you imagine what it was like? I mean, go back and picture. God brings Moses up onto Mount Sinai and gives him the Ten Commandments. You know what the very first commandment was, in essence? Don't have any other God before me. And then number two was this. Don't make little statues of things. They're lifeless. They don't work. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and do you know what he had found the people of God doing? They had taken all their gold jewelry and all their gold earrings and melted it down and then shaped and formed a golden calf. And Aaron, Moses' brother, is like, hey, because Moses is gone like 40 days. And they're getting nervous and they're getting worried. They're like, we don't know what to do. Aaron, make a God. They start shifting and crafting and making a golden calf. Where have we gone? Why have we lost it? Where in the world has our mind gone? Here, here's where it is. When we feel lost and we don't know God, we search for whatever it is that we think will satisfy the longing of our heart. If you go back and look in those ancient time periods and you ask yourself, why would they be so dumb? Why would they be so naive to go chasing after something so stupid? I'll tell you why. It's because they didn't know God and they began to then chase after anything they thought could meet the deepest needs of their soul. And what do you and I do? We do the exact same things. We don't worship Aphrodite or Diana. We don't worship the sun god Ra. We don't do that. But we look to the gods of provision. We look to the gods of beauty. We look to the gods of money. We look to these different gods in new ways now, more sophisticated ways. Because we're longing for something to satisfy our soul. And here's the problem. Only Jesus can do that. That's why when the idol falls down, life falls apart. I wanna encourage you to get in here over these next few weeks. Don't miss one Sunday, because over these next three weeks, I wanna turn the light on three specific areas that I believe every one of us at some point in our life deal with. Get in here, don't miss it for nothing. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that God, you didn't challenge unbelievers with this message. This message didn't go out to the nations that worship the other idols. It went to the people of God. And so today, God, and for the next few weeks, it has come to us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us. God, be in our minds, working, be in our hearts, kind of moving things around and turning things over. God, we pray that we would, God, tear down the evil idols of our lives. Some of them, they are wrecking us. They are killing us. They are killing our families. God, we need your help. God, for some of us, they're good things that we turn into ultimate things. And they're not bad in and of themselves, but God, we've misplaced them. And God, for that, we repent today. God, we seek your forgiveness and we seek your guidance. God, we pray that you would help us to put you back into your proper place. We pray, God, that you would be the number one priority of our life. And God, where it's not, expose it. Where it's not, God, make it so abundantly clear and let it agitate us until we fix it. God, we pray that you would be first not only in our priorities, but in the way that we do life, you would be the centerpiece of all that we do. Father, we come to you and we repent today. I would dare to say that there's, there's not one person in here that probably doesn't have one area of their life where they don't have something that maybe drives them or pushes them a little bit too much. So God, we, we repent to you today. We turn towards you and ask for your help. We ask for your strength and we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' holy and mighty name. And we all said, amen.